Oftentimes when I'm on vacation um, with my family, we go to a lot of national parks together. So gone to a bunch of different national parks, and some of the favorites that we'd gone multiple times are Yosemite and Yellowstone. And something that you hear all the time when you go to theme parks, or my parents at least told me all the time, are give the animals some space. So when it comes to the different animals at Yosemite, they've got like squirrels and bears and deer, all these different things, or Yellowstone, they've got like the bison, all these different animals. It's like, just give them some space. And you've probably heard that if you've been to a national park, like, hey, if you come in contact with an elk, a moose, wild animal, give it some space. And guess what? We hear that, but there are two different types of people that act differently to that command. Two different types of people. Person number one goes to Yellowstone, goes by the bison, and, and they know, hey, got to give the animal some space. But then you see the bison, and it's like right over there, and you're like, that's kind of cool. Like, wait, I got to get the perfect photo for my Instagram, like, so people think I'm so cool seeing these bison, so I got to get a little bit closer. It's like, then you're, they're like right closer, you're like, dude, it's just like a big stuffed animal. You guys see a, a, a buffalo or bison before? I know they're different, but um, I'm just going to say they're synonymous for now. It's like, okay, bison, it's like, oh, they're just like fluffy, like they look so soft, like I'm just going to get a little bit closer. And then you see the people like get closer and closer and closer, they get really close. And then you have the other type of people who are the ones filming those people, <laughs> That, that I'm personally thankful for. The ones that give them some space, but guess what? They're like, okay, that person is stupid, so you know what I'm gonna do right now? I'm gonna take a video of this. And the other day, I was watching some of these videos of the foolish people that are getting a little too close, even they know I should give them some space. And when it came to bison, I saw this one guy, he was thinking he was sneaking up on it, getting a good photo. Bison sees him, puts his head right into the guy, flings him up into the air, and he goes like almost as high as the ceiling. I was like, I've never seen this clip before. It was crazy. This other person got too close, and like you can hear the people recording are like, like we are about to film this person's death right now. It's like, like they just know this person's not smart. And you see them being tossed left and right like a rag doll. It's like, well, guess what? You probably should have listened. The brochures that say, hey, don't feed the animals, give the animals some space. You probably should have listened to it. Two different responses. The people that hear the commands and people that don't do it say, I'm going to get close anyways. And the people that hear the command stay away from the animals. And guess what? The ones that do it. Well, the Bible also talks about two different types of people. Two different types of people. Person number one hears the word of God and doesn't do it. Disregards it. Oh, I know better. I, I'm, I'll be fine. It's going to be okay. And ignores it. And the other person that the passage we're going to look at today called the wise men is the, is the one who hears the word of God and doesn't just say, oh yeah, I know it, but I'm going to ignore it. No, but is the person who does it. And guess what? Just like the, the individual at the national park who disregarded the commands to give the animals some space, if we disregard God's commands and his teaching in scripture, we hear it, but we don't do it, there's going to be some dire consequences and catastrophic consequences that come as well. As we finish up this series, fact check, we're talking about all these objections that people have to God's word. One of them that I think we might not say, but one that we live out is that, oh yeah, the Bible is just to be built up my mind. It's just to grow my mind so that I know more about what God wants. We need to counteract that wrong idea that we have. And the passage that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 7 that I encourage you to turn to as I did before tells about the consequences if we are just hearers and we aren't doers. 
So let's look. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, ends it up, wraps it together with this final analogy. Verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7. You guys there? Yeah. Matthew 7, 24. says this. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So, okay, someone who hears the words, the, the words that Jesus is teaching and does them, he says it's going to be like this. So he's going to give an analogy, an illustration, a comparison. It's going to be like this, a wise man building a house on a rock. It's like, okay, person building a house. Oh, where should I build it? Okay, there's all these different places to build it. Oh, no, there's a rock over here. That's where I'm going to build it. Well, as you know, verse 25, as you sang, and the rains came down and the woods came up, the rains came down. Like, you guys know the song. You sang the song before? Yeah. yeah? If not, look up the song. You'll, you'll know it after. Um, or like, my feet are on the rock. Ooh. Yeah, you guys know this passage. But what happens? The guy builds his house on the rock. Verse 25 says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. You can picture that. I mean, a lot of us have been in storms before. Picture your house and the winds blowing against it, um, the, the rain coming down, going sideways, or maybe it's like a hurricane taking place, and there's a lot of chaos going around outside of this house. But guess what? It says, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, well, on the contrary, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So wise man doing what he should, building it where he ought to, but then the foolish man, which actually the word for foolish is the word moros in Greek, which sounds similar to the word moron that we would maybe use today as, once again, not a kind word to use. So this guy is like, ah, this guy's foolish. This guy's stupid. This guy's a moron. Yeah, look at this guy. Yeah, where should I build this house? Oh yeah, I mean, there's, there's some sand right over there. So that's where he builds it. And as you know, once again, verse 27, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, similar type of a storm coming through, and it beat against that house, but different outcome, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The idea of great was loud. It was catastrophic. There was a big consequence for this individual building his house on the sand, and once again, the person building a house on the sand is someone who hears the word of God and does not do it. Jesus contrasts these two individuals, and I want us to be someone who doesn't just hear the word of God and, and ignore it. Listen to the word of God and put it off. Jesus doesn't want us to be like this foolish man who is hearing the word of God day after day after day and isn't doing anything about it. Because what is characteristic of these storms in this passage are the coming judgment. The floods coming, the rains coming, that's all metaphorically talking about the coming judgment when we stand before the Lord. And guess what? If we have constantly over and over heard the word of God and not done anything about it, there's going to be some big consequences that come. We need to live out God's word and not merely listen to it. You hear all the time, read, 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 read the Bible, read the Bible. You need to read the Bible. Dear Flipgrid, read the Bible, read the Bible. Listen to God's word, listen to sermons. But if that's all we do, if all we do is take in God's word and we, that's where we stop, we're doing a big disservice to ourselves. I put it like this for point number one. You need to beware thinking Bible intake is good enough. Beware thinking Bible intake is good enough. If you think it is, oh yeah, I took in the Bible, I read it, I, I listened to it, I studied it, and now I'm done? You're, you're missing a big step. 
can't just stop after we took in God's word and say, oh yeah, I'm done. That's it for today. No, we, there's another thing to take place. It's like imagine your parents told you, hey, I need you to take out the trash. Why don't you take out the trash? And then they, come, they go back doing their, over, their other thing and they come back 30 minutes later and they're like, hey, did you take out the trash? You're like, no, I didn't take out the trash. And they're like, wait, did, did you like not hear me? And you're like, no, no, I heard you. I, I knew what you wanted me to do. I, I just didn't do it. <laughs> Could you imagine saying that to your parents? If I said that to my parents, smack. <laughs> I would have got spanked so hard as a kid. Like, it's like, that's not going to turn out well. Like, oh, yeah, we hear the command that our parents wanted us to do, but, oh, yeah, I, I know what you want, but guess what? I, I didn't do it. That's the same thing. If we take in God's word, we hear it. A lot of us, we not only hear, we understand it. We know what the Bible says, but we say, yeah, God, I know what you want, but guess what? I don't want to do it. One person who heard God's word but didn't do it is this guy named Saul, and it's talked about it in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 13. In the context of this passage, Saul, who's the king of Israel at this time, is leading Israel into battle against these other nations. And so just remember we talked about last week that these other nations were sinful nations, not doing the right thing. So God says, hey, I want you to go and stop the wickedness that's doing, so take them over. And right before this passage, we're going to look at in 1 Samuel 13, 11, Saul is losing in the battle. So things aren't going well. It's like, oh man, kind of in a rough position. The, The troops are down. They're kind of sad. And he thinks that, okay, well, what we should do is we need to get God's favor this next time we go out to battle. We need God's favor. And so what we traditionally would have done to get God's favor is we need to offer some sacrifices to God. Well, the error is that when it comes to sacrifices to God, Saul's like, okay, well, who's supposed to do these sacrifices? If you know anything about the Old Testament, it's supposed to be the priests offering these sacrifices. And guess what? This guy named Samuel was the one who was supposed to offer the sacrifices, well, Saul is waiting around for Samuel, and he's like, okay, like, we're waiting. All right, come on, get here. We, we need you to, to do these sacrifices. Then he waits some more. He waits some more. S- Samuel's not showing up, and he's like, well, I mean, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, he's not coming, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do it myself. God had made clear, hey, Samuel's the one who's supposed to do this, but Saul says, like, well, Samuel's not here, so I guess I'll do it myself. So he offers these sacrifices to God, thinks, well, I guess I can do it. What's a big deal about that? First Samuel 13, 11, we see Samuel come and approach him and talk to him about that. First Samuel 13, 11, you guys there? Look down. Samuel comes to him and he says, what have you done? It's like, dude, wh- why'd you do this? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, stop right there. I want you to notice all the excuses that Saul puts up for why he disobeyed God. You even see Saul's approach isn't like, oh, like I didn't know. No, Saul knew what he was supposed to do. But he comes all these excuses for why he didn't obey God. Oh, all the people were scattering from me. It's like, I mean, I was in a, I was in a tough position. Like they're scattering, like what? Do I just want all the troops to be sad? Like, that's not good. He says, and that you did not come within the days appointed. He's like, well, you didn't show up, Samuel. Like, what was I supposed to do? Like, well, if God really wanted me to wait for you, then like God would have had you come on time. He's already putting out these excuses. Next, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. It's like, well, 
tough situation that I put in right here. What am I supposed to do? Verse 12, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. It's like, well, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to, but I mean, what was I supposed to do? I forced myself is how he puts it to do it. You notice all the excuses that Saul's giving? Oh, it's opposition. Well, like God would have stopped me if, if, if he didn't want me to do it. Like, oh, well, it was my last chance. I didn't want to, but, but I felt like I had to. What are the excuses that we give not to obey God? What are the excuses that you give to say, okay, yeah, I know what the Bible wants me to do, but there's a disconnect between me hearing, listening, understanding, and actually doing. Maybe your excuses are a lot like Saul. Oh, man, it's been a tough day. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a hard day at school. I should just play video games instead of pray. Yeah, I'm not going to pray today. I'm just going to do video games. It's been a tough day. Or maybe you're fighting temptation and you're like, well, if God really wants me to say no to this temptation, you know, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take the temptation away. Well, if, God, if that's what God wants, I mean, I'm putting no, like the temptation's coming and it's strong and it's hard. Like, I feel like I've got no choice. I've got to give in to it. See how that's very much similar to the excuses that Saul was giving. I didn't have a choice. Well, God would have sent Samuel in time. We have all these excuses for why we don't want to obey God's word. I'm in a tough position. I don't feel like it today. I don't feel like honoring my parents. If God wanted me to resist, he would just take it away. We need to call out and expose our own excuses for why we just stop with Bible intake. There's that disconnect between doing it. Saul gets another chance in 1 Samuel 15. Turn over to 1 Samuel 15. God tells Saul, hey, you're going to take this the Israelites into battle again. And you're gonna go up against these people called the Amalekites and I want you to destroy them completely. So listen to my words, destroy them all, wipe them all out. Don't keep anything for yourself. It's complete wickedness. Be done with it, take them all out. Well, what Saul ends up doing is as he, they take over and they have victory in this battle against this, these people, he doesn't completely obey God's, God's commands. Yeah, he destroys a lot of things and he, he wipes out a lot of people, but guess what? He spares the king and he also saves some of the cattle and the livestock for himself. He says, well, I mean, this is some good, like, sheep and, and cattle over here. Like, what, we're just going to destroy them? No. He thinks, what if we save some of it so we can offer sacrifices to God after? That seems like a good thing, right? Like, oh, yeah. Like, offering sacrifice to God, that's a good thing. That's pleasing in his sight. Like, okay, maybe this time I'll let Samuel do it so God will be pleased by that. It's like, yeah, let's not just waste it. Let's do something good. 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel, once again, Samuel is oftentimes the rebuke in the life of Saul. Samuel says this, 1 Samuel 15, 22. It says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Say, hey, yeah, what does God like more? that you saved some of these animals to sacrifice to him? Or would he be more pleased if you actually listened to him? Probably, probably to listen to him. God would be way more pleased by you doing what he wants you to do, Saul, than you presuming and thinking you know better than God and you actually know what God wants you to do outside of what he told you. Specifically, this is what I want you to do. Disobeyed. 
Guess what? There are consequences that came. Look at verse 23. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption, thinking that you know what God wants. is as iniquity and idolatry. And here's the consequence. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God said clearly, because you've rejected it, now it's twice, blatantly, he has also rejected you from being king. There were consequences that came in the life of Saul for hearing the word of God. This is what you do, but saying, I'm going to do my own thing instead. Even thinking, no, this is something that God would want. Well, did God say it? Did God tell you to do that? No, he didn't. And he said to do the opposite. Well, then we probably shouldn't do it. So there's divine consequences that come for being hearers and not being doers. But not only are there consequences eternally, but also if we hear the word of God and not do it, what we're really hurting is we're hurting ourselves. It's like, oh yeah, well, God's gonna punish. Like, yeah, there are consequences, but really we're just hurting ourselves by hearing the word of God and not doing it. It's like, imagine if you were trying to become like, I guess maybe the guy, like a super like strong buff guy. It's like you wanna be one of, some, one of those bodybuilders. You're like, you wanna walk around like this for the rest of your life, which maybe you don't wanna be, but that's another sermon. Um, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I just wanna be like jacked. I wanna wear a tank top to, to California Christmas and not be ashamed of my, my arms. So I'm going to work out a little bit. I'm going to be strong. Um, like three of the guys in the room can do that, I guess. No, it's like, yeah, I'm going to bulk up. And so what you do is like, okay, start my day, you know, wake up early. And you know what I got to do is what do people do to get strong? They, they, they eat, they eat. So you know what I'm going to do? Eat a lot of protein. So got my eggs, whipped up some eggs, you know, get some, you know, just a little bit of bacon, just to have a little bit of flavor, but stay away from that. Make a protein shake, you know, like 50 grams of protein. Let's just put, yeah, you know, I want to get strong. 50 grams of protein. I don't even know how it's possible. It'd be like the thickest protein shake you ever drank ever. It's like, just, yeah, I just want all that. You eat and drink it and you're all ready. You're like, yeah, yeah, protein shake. You're like, yeah, let's go. Then, then you're getting ready for the day and you're like, all right, that was good go sit on the couch for the rest of the day because, yeah, I got in, got in my exercise and my, 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 my muscle building stuff for the day. That, that's pretty good. Be like, like, what about the, like, the exercise part? <laughs> what about the, like, going to the gym part? Like, isn't a protein shake, like, supposed to take effect? You, like, drink it right before you go and work out? It's like, oh, no, 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 like, I'm just going to take in the, the stuff that's good for me. I don't need to do anything well, you're probably not going to gain those big muscles. It's probably going to be a detriment to you. You can take in as much protein shakes as you want, but guess what? If you don't do any physical activity, it's not going to work out. You're not going to turn out how you want to. So too, when it comes to hearing God's word and not doing it, we're hurting ourselves. We're thinking that we're doing enough because it's, oh yeah, well, I know a lot. I memorized all those Awana verses. I can tell you what, what the DBR was about. I took really good notes during the sermons, but if we don't do anything about it, we're hurting ourselves. The effect is to do it. We need to change our mindset from just hearing it to being people that want to do it, be doers of the word. Some of you in this room are A-plus sermon listeners, A-plus. You write down uh, the illustrations, you write down the points, I mean, some of you girls have like five different colors that you're like switching between, like highlighting. It's cool. Like, I wish I could do it. The guys, yeah, you're just using the pen and that's like what you're doing because guys are different. But it's like, you're really good. You're listening, turning to the passages. Guess what? If you stop after that and you walk away from the sermon, don't think about it anymore. Don't do anything about it. 
you just wasted your time taking really good notes. It's worthless to hear the word of God and not do it. What's the point of taking all those good notes? Something that Pastor Mike often hears a lot because he's a really good preacher is people oftentimes come up to him after and say, that was a really good sermon, Pastor Mike. Like, thank you so much. That sermon was awesome. And I remember, I forget whether he was just telling this in conversation, but what oftentimes goes through his mind is like, like, oh, it was a really good sermon. Like, we'll see. We'll see. And I don't think he does that every time because it's kind of like a downer to say every time someone says, thank you for a great sermon. Like, oh, we'll see. But I know he has said it before. It's like, we'll see. Like, you already preached the sermon. What do you mean? Like, that was a great sermon. We'll see. Because the effectiveness of a good sermon from God's word is not just, hey, that, that was really good to listen to. Like, wow, yeah, that was really clear and it, it, it was helpful and I learned stuff. It's like, well, if we don't do anything about it, was it really a great sermon? You can be on your DBR Flipgrid and be like, yeah, today's DBR was really great. Like, we'll see if it was great. If it was great, it will have an effect of you doing something about it. You need to alter our mindset, not just hearers, but doers. This analogy by Jesus back in Matthew chapter 7 makes clear the consequences of being just a hearer. The final judgment. Those rains coming and the floods coming. And guess what? Foolish man didn't even think about that. He's like, well, here's a place to build it. Here's on the sand. It's good weather outside today, so like, I guess it's always gonna be good weather. Didn't even think about like, hey, do you ever think like there might be rain and like that falls from the sky? It's like, this isn't the time before, no. We're like, there wasn't, it's like rain coming down. Like, maybe that's not the smart place. He wasn't even thinking about that. Foolish person was just like, well, here's a spot to build a house. So sure, yeah, let's build it. Didn't think about the future. We need to be more thoughtful about the future. What really matters, not just be caught up in the here and now. Must not do that. Point number two, we need to avoid short-sighted pursuits. Avoid short-sighted pursuits. We need to keep yourself from things that are just focused on the here and now. Focus on right here, right now. But see the bigger picture. Think about down the road, what, what really matters? 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, is it really gonna matter? Think about the consequences from now to the future. Did any of you guys build forts as a kid? Anybody? Okay, a bunch of you. I mean, yeah, you like get some chairs, and then you have blankets in your house, and you like set it all up. Um, or like sometimes I'd do it in my backyard, and you'd get like, my dad got these big old like brown boxes, and like there'd be like tunnels to like crawl through. Now imagine I was like looking for a place to like build my fort. It's like, I got my chairs, got my blankets. Like, where's a great place to build a fort? I'm like looking around. I don't like any place in my house. Um, I go to my front yard and I'm like, oh, like here's a nice like flat place right here in my front yard. It's like black and it's like, it's straight and there's like nothing there. So like, like that's where I should build it. The, ro the road right here. Like, yeah, let's build it right here. Like no one's here. It's totally fine. It's great. And so putting up the chairs, putting the blankets together, um, if you're cool, you like brought like lights into it because it got dark. It's like, oh, you brought like your little lantern and then you brought books to read if you were into reading like I was, um, us nerds out there. It's like, yeah, I was like reading and you're like, perfect. I got it all set up like right here, right on the street. Perfect. It's nice and flat and smooth. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you get the point. It's like, dude, maybe not the street where cars are going to come. Oh, but, but, but right now there, there's no one there. 
It's like, well, yeah, yeah, if you sit in there like long enough, guess what? There's going to car that come and drive straight through, and guess what? You're pretty far right there. Hopefully, you're not in it. If you're in it, oh, it's going to get smacked. That's the comparison that he's making in Matthew chapter 7, the foolish person that doesn't even think about the future. Like, hey, let's not build it in the street because there might be a car that comes in the future. He's not even thinking about the future. It's like, no, dude, there's nothing here right now. It's perfect. It's like, let's think a little bit more. So too, we can get caught up with not thinking about the future, like just living our lives however we want to in disregard of what God's word says because it's like, well, things are good right now. Who really cares? Well, what about the future judgment? What about on judgment day when we stand before the Lord? Well, not even that. What about the trials that come in our lives? Are you going to be ready for that? Oh, I wasn't thinking about that because life's pretty good right now. We need to think about that. Not get caught up with things that are in pursuit of just temporary satisfaction here and now. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to turn there, talks about these different pursuits that we can go after. And he's trying to figure out, man, is it it worth going after this? Does this really matter? Is this worthwhile? Is this helpful? Should Should I go after these things? And Solomon, who's... Uh, the king of Israel this time, the richest person alive at this point, super wealthy, had everything at his disposal. And let's see what his conclusions are to the things that he looks at. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, look at verse 1. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. He says, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So he's trying to figure out, oh, what's worth it in life? So first he tries pleasure, things that are fun, things that are enjoyable, whatever he's like, yeah, I want to do that. I tried it. But he comes to the conclusion, it's vanity, it's vain, it's worthless. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fill up. doesn't matter in the long run. Verse 3 says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. He's like, I want to feel happy. So what I'm going to try, I'm going to try wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. It's like, hey, the life that we live, it's few days. So what makes it really worthwhile? I tried pleasure. Whatever's fun, I tried that. Okay, well, I'm going to try wine now. Seems like that's what people go to, so let me try it. Does it satisfy? Look at verse 4. Try something else. He says, I made great works. So he builds things. He accomplishes great things. He says, I built houses. It's like, whoa. Sue's got multiple houses. He just built. He's got the power to do that. Planted vineyards for myself. It's like, okay, I don't know what, what's so cool about the vineyards. Like, okay. He's got all these plants. Verse five, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Verse six, I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. It's like, okay, that's kind of cool. He's got pools and he's got houses, gardens, eh, but he's got all these different things. He tried accomplishments. Hey, is that worth it? Building these different things, have all these possessions. Verse seven, I bought male and female, ser- female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. He's like, I was the guy in charge. I had people under me that I could say, hey, you do that and do that. And yeah, you should do this and they have to do that. It's like, he had power, accomplishments, pleasure, tried wine, goes on, middle of verse seven. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. 
I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. So I say, hey, I tried it all. Possessions, pleasure, sexual immorality, alcohol, wisdom, he goes on to say in verses 9 and 10. I've got all these things. But at the end, in verse 11, he comes to the conclusion. He says, then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil that I had expended in doing. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So you know, you know what it adds up to? Not worth it. Worthless. It doesn't really matter in the long run. He says, you know what really matters? He goes on in the entire book of Ecclesiastes to talk about thing after thing. Oh, does this satisfy? Oh, well, this doesn't really do it. This isn't really worthwhile. He summarizes all the way at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He says, you know, I've tried everything. Think about this. This is a guy that had everything at his disposal. If this guy wanted like 15 of the new PS5 or whatever, it's like he had it. If this guy wanted to be, it's like he was already king. He was already in charge. Hey, if he wanted to tell you to do something, he had everything at his disposal. He says, it's all vain. You know what's really worth it? Verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. He says, you know what's worthwhile? You know what really matters? Fearing God, keeping his commandments, doing what God wants. For this is the whole duty of man. Why? Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So you know it's a worthwhile pursuit, fearing God, keeping his commandments. That's what really lasts. That's what matters. The individual in Matthew chapter 7 that's labeled the wise man was someone who obeyed God's word, obeyed his commands. And he obeyed God's commands, it's like, well, how was he able to do that? It's because he had submitted himself to the authority of Christ. What he had done was saying, okay, I'm no longer going to live how I want to, just pursuing these worthless endeavors that Solomon tried out. He said, no, actually, I'm going to submit myself, and I'm going to build my life on the rock, Christ. Christ is going to be my foundation. Jesus in his word, that's what matters, are you someone who's going after these short-sighted pursuits? A lot of you guys can't wait to get into high school or college because you just want to experience just a little bit of what the world has to offer. Oh yeah, well, Solomon tried out those things and it didn't work for him, but like, let me just try it just for a little bit. I love to experience that. The cool things in high school and college that we think, oh, that, that'd be so great. Guess what? It doesn't satisfy. It's not worth it. It's not worthwhile. It doesn't last. That's why I see super wealthy and famous and rich people, and most of the time they struggle with depression. They're sad. So many of them are suicidal because they thought these things would fill me up and be worthwhile, and guess what? They came to the same conclusion that Solomon did, that it actually doesn't. Christ needs to be your foundation. If you've not put your faith and your trust in Christ, guess what your foundation is? It's, it's the sand, your foundation, you're all about friends, all about, man, I just want to be rich one day. Oh, I just want people to like me. That's your foundation. 
when it comes Judgment Day, it's not going to be worthwhile. Also, even the, the floods and the rains that are characteristic in Matthew chapter 7, it's not solely the future judgment, but it talks about the, the challenges and difficulties that we go in this life. So a lot of challenges that we face. As you get older, you've got more difficulties and hardships that come. And guess what? If your foundation is not Christ, it's not centered on him, but rather you're going after these temporary things, when challenges come, you're going to be ruined. There's so many people, I know so many Christians at this church who have gone through difficult things, and what they say over and over and over again is, man, if I was not right with God, I, I don't know what I would do. I don't got nowhere to turn to. All my friends abandoned me. I lost my job. All, all these difficulties where it's like, man, they oftentimes bring up the church too. If I didn't have the church, the body of believers, what I do, but man, if Christ was not my foundation, I would be ruined. That's what's gonna happen if you have not put your trust in Christ. If you're pursuing these short-sighted pursuits thinking that's what really is worthwhile, you're gonna realize that it's not. It doesn't work. Rather, the wise man in verse 25 had the right foundation and he built upon it. That's what it says in verse 25. Why did it not fall? Why did his house not get smacked down? I think it's also interesting that it, it doesn't say that the house was not ever shaken. Like, imagine in that storm. It doesn't say, oh, the house didn't shake at all, or there wasn't like a little bit of rumbling. It's like, no, it doesn't say that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it didn't fall. The, the Christian, the wise man who hears the word of God, does it, whose foundation is Christ, doesn't mean there's no difficulty, there's no challenges. No, but guess what? You won't be ruined. On judgment day, you'll be able to stand strong. Guess what? The challenges of, the, of this life, you'll be able to face strongly. If your foundation is Christ the rock, then we can talk about obeying him after, building on the rock, your foundation being Christ, doing what now God wants you to do. We need to build that biblical resolve to obey God. For point number three, I put it this way. You need to pursue daily obedience to God's word. Pursue daily obedience to God's word. Obedience should not be a weekly thing. When I go to church, should not be a monthly thing. Oh, well, whenever I think about it, it should be a, a daily resolve. What does God want me to do? I'm going to obey that. I'm going to listen to that. In Psalm chapter one, it gives a different analogy of a, a believer and compares it to someone who's like a, compares a believer to a tree that's planted by streams of water. It says that that tree yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Hey, if you're someone who's right with God, what you're gonna do is you're gonna put God's word into practice. You're gonna be like that tree that's bearing fruit left and right. Well, what is the fruit? I mean, think first off, the fruit of the spirit. You're gonna be loving, joyful, peaceful, all those different things. You're gonna be in obedience with what God wants, doing these things that God say, hey, I'm pleased about. Well done, good stuff that you're doing. If we pursue daily obedience to God's word. But I think far too often we think, yeah, I know, and for many of you, this sermon isn't like, whoa, brand new. How many of you raise your hand for the first time, never heard that I should do what the Bible says? It's like, okay, we've heard that before. But why have we heard it so many times, but like not been able to do it? Well, first, I think many, it's because our foundation isn't set on Christ, so you can't do what he wants if you're not right with him. But I think those of us who are right with him and have difficulty putting it into practice is because we don't plan and strategically figure out how we're going to obey God's word. 
which said oftentimes is a failure to plan is a plan to fail. Failure to plan is a plan to fail. So if you fail to plan, okay, how am I going to obey God's word? Not, not oftentimes we're going to do it. It's like, oh, well, I'm just going to do it whenever I think about it. Oh, yeah, I'll apply the sermon whenever I think about it this week. How many times have you said that and then you don't think about it that week? Probably all the time. Oh, wait, no, I thought about it during small groups. And in small groups, I said I'm going to do this. And then a week goes by, and did you do that? No. How can we strategically plan to every time we interact with God's word to apply it? Maybe this is what you need to do. I know we take in the Bible a lot. That was what point one was about. You listen to it, you read it, you study it. Can we apply God's word? Can we do one thing every time we interact with the Bible? So with the sermons that you hear each week, the junior high sermon, can you say, okay, this is one thing I'm going to do this week. This is one point of application of how I'm going to apply God's word this week. With the DBR, when you read it, this is one thing I'm going to do today. One thing. Can we be specific like that? Maybe you write it down. Maybe at the bottom of your worksheet, you say, okay, this is the one thing I'm going to do from this sermon this week. And then when small groups come around on Wednesday, you can look down and say, okay, did I do that one thing? If I didn't, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Or I can say, yes, I did it this week. And then, okay, after small groups, cool, let's keep putting it into practice. Next sermon that you hear, okay, going to write down one thing. Or when you do your DBR and say, okay, I understand what the DBR is about. I'm going to write down, hey, this is one thing I want to do today. Something specific. Something that you can look back tomorrow and say, okay, did I do that thing, yes or no? I think that's also why I think we struggle with application is we kind of give these vague, like, okay, I just need to, like, like love God more this week. It's like, then you look back next week, is like, did I love God more? It's like, like kind of, like, I guess, like, I don't know. Like, how do you even measure that? It's like, it's hard to measure. Whereas, like, if you specifically said, like, maybe we're reading Jesus on uh talking about prayer and said, I'm going to pray for five minutes today. Well, guess what? Tomorrow, you can look back and say, well, did I do that? Yes or no? Very specific, very tangible. You need to come up with specific, tangible application. Maybe your point from this week is to come up with that plan. Maybe that's your application for this week. Come up with a plan to apply the Bible, something specific. We want to pursue daily obedience. We need to strategically plan to do that. You need to remember that when we obey God's word, those of us who are right with God, our foundation is Christ, that God rewards us with heavenly rewards for obeying him. It's a worthwhile pursuit. And while we obey God, we shouldn't try to get attention to ourselves, but we should do it out of a humble gratitude for what Christ has done for us. I mean, Jesus talks about the Pharisees who did a lot of good things externally, but Jesus calls them out all the time because it's like, yeah, why were the Pharisees doing the good things that they wanted to do? It's to be seen by other people. Pharisees, oh, they look like they're fasting, so they make themselves look all like in a tough spot because like, oh, they want to look holy, like we're fasting. Or if we're praying, like, oh, publicly, like pray like right in front of everyone. So like, hey, are they, they looking at me? It's like, we shouldn't be about that. We shouldn't be trying to do it just to please other people. It's like, it reminds me of when, after the bridge, a lot of the guys play basketball in the gym. So the bridge college ministry we meet in here. And afterwards, after small groups, a lot of the guys play basketball in the gym. And um, 
it's like fairly competitive. Like, yeah, we want to, we're playing lightning or whatever, and we're trying to get each other out. Um, but it's not like super intense, like we're joking around. But then every now and then the girls in the bridge will come and they'll stand on the side. And all of a sudden, for a lot of guys, the intensity just jumps up like a whole nother, nother level. It's like all of a sudden the joking that was happening, it's like, oh, no, dude, I, I can't. I got to like focus in right now. Like they're watching. Like, <laughs> I don't want to look dumb. It's like uh, the intensity like picks up like, like you take a shot and if like it was a bad shot, you see like guys like looking over to the side like, did anybody see that? Like, <laughs> I hope they didn't see that because that looks embarrassing. It's like all of a sudden the intensity raised. Why? It's like, well, were you playing basketball because like you enjoy playing basketball? It's like, you know, like maybe what, what you really cared about. And I know you junior high guys would do the same thing if the girls were walking in and you're playing pickup basketball. You'd be like, oh man, I got I to gotta flex, got to cross someone up. It's like, because what you really care about is the other person, the girls being like, whoa, look at Wow, Caleb Eaton, that was so cool. What a good shot. Brendan, wow, that was awesome. It's, it's like, what you really care about is to be seen by other people. Guess what? That's why a lot of people obey and do what God wants as well, to be seen by other people. You want your small group leader to be like, wow, great job. Look at the, ah, fantastic. You did an awesome job doing your flippers this week. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I just, I just want that praise from other people. I want in small groups to be able to say, yeah, I did this and I did this and I did this this week. And when other people didn't do it, I look like the good Christian kid. Are we doing things that God wants us to? Are we obeying to be seen by others, to get the praise and the commendation of other people? Are we doing it because we love God? We care about him. We want to obey him. We desire to put his word into practice. Don't do good things for other people to see. Don't do good things to get the praise of others. Rather, the verse I want us to close with is rather what our response should be. Luke 17, 10, this is what our response should be when we obey God excellently. Luke 17 said, says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, so you did a great job, you obeyed God what you were supposed to do, this is what you should say. We are unworthy servants, we have only done what is our duty. That's what our attitude should be. What we shouldn't say when we obey God is, God, I'm so great. I mean, I'm awesome. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> like, hey, everyone, copy me because like, I'm amazing. It's like, no, what our response should be is, God, I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done what is my duty, what I'm supposed to do. It's what I ought to do. Thank you for the opportunity that I'm able to obey you. May that be our resolve as we seek to obey God's word this week. Let's pray. God, we confess that we don't put your word into practice like we ought to. As so many of us hear what you want us to do, whether it's main service sermons, junior high sermons, reading the DBR, and yet... We're so quick to fail to put it into practice. Help us to change our attitude, our mindset of thinking that taking in the Bible is sufficient. Brother, help us to live it out with our lives. Help us to be strategic with that. I pray that the students in this room would think how they can specifically plan to obey your word, to put it into practice, and to do it with the right attitude, the right motives, out of a gratitude and thankfulness to you and what you've done for us. God, help us to do that this week, and we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.